Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. To celebrate the release of my new book of devotions on Ephesians for the next little while here on the podcast, I'm going to be releasing talks through the entire book of Ephesians. These talks have been preached in church services, on camps, and in other contexts, and some of them are as old as 2015, some as recent as 2022. Some have been on the podcast before, and some of them are brand new. If you like the talks, hopefully you'll love the devotions. There are 40 days of readings, and they'll take you through the entire book of Ephesians. You can order the book now by heading to tomfrench.com.au forward slash Ephesians. All right, that's all for now. I hope you enjoy the talk. I have a confession that I need to make. I have not always been a kind person. I have not always been a gentle person. And particularly where I have expressed this is when it comes to my technology. I have not been a kind person to my technology I have computers which I have beaten. I have said rude words to them. And you know that feeling, you know that that anger that wells up in you when you are trying to get to a web page and the computer is just going too slowly or when it is just shut down, when you're in the middle of working on your assessment and it hasn't saved or when the computer has gone sentient and is trying to take over the world and you want to swear at your computer. Sometimes I say things to my computer. I say, you stupid bum bum head. Things like that. And I'm, I, I can't help it. It just comes out. And I've said mean things and sometimes hit things which I shouldn't have. You know, computers and photocopiers and phones and, and staplers, all sorts of technology has got me into this rage and I have not treated them well. And it, I, this didn't seem to be a, be a problem to me until eventually a Siri arrived uh, on my phone. And then I realized when my phone started speaking to me that technology is people too. Technology has feelings, and technology cares, and Siri, she answers my questions when I ask her things, and she sets appointments for me, or she rings people, she'll put alarms on it, and she'll, she'll do whatever I ask for, her, and she's unceasingly polite. And even though I've been rude and mean to my technology, Siri is always kind. And I thought, wow. Technology has feelings, and I have been ignoring that all along. And it's only now that I see that they feel things, they just didn't have a voice. Now I know they have a voice, and I'm deeply repentant for the way I have treated technology. Now, you guys know that actually it doesn't matter that much how you treat technology. Like, if you get angry at a photocopier or a microwave, whatever, it's not a big deal. It may be an indication of your anger issues, but you haven't really sinned against uh, these you know, pieces of technology because they aren't people and they're not sentient, at least not yet. So, for the moment, while we are still safe from them, it's okay to be mean to your technology. But technology, 
has this relationship with us where we see ourselves as masters and technology is our slaves and we get it to make it do whatever we want. But the thing is though, we also are in uh, leadership and in uh, power relationships with other people. Sometimes we lead people as parents or as bosses. Sometimes we are underneath people. We are submitting to people as children or as employees. And so we're gonna look today about how we have right relationships uh, within these kind of structures. So it's not really about technology, but it is about how we relate to these things, how to relate to each other well. How do we submit and how do we lead out of reverence to Christ? That's what we're going to be looking at and that's what this passage is about. We're going to be looking at what it means for relationships between children and parents and slaves and masters. But before we get into particularly children and parents as we start off, there's a few things I want to point out about this passage. Now, this passage, uh, we see that there's instructions about people who are submitting. And we, if we go back to the, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we see that this is the beginning of a whole section which people normally call the house table or the household codes. And at 5.21, uh, Paul tells his readers to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And he's saying there's going to be situations where you as Christians are going to need to submit to another person. And so we submit to each other, but we don't submit to each other because the other person is any better than you, just because they have more power than you, just because they have a bigger stick than you. Uh, The reason why you submit to them is because of your love for Jesus, because you have been saved by Jesus. And this is how we do it. We submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And we also notice that when Paul writes here, he writes to children and he writes to slaves, which is important to notice just because it means that Paul expected in his churches, as people were reading it, that there would be children present to hear his letter read out and there would be slaves present to hear his letter read out, as well as parents, as well as masters. That shows us that the early church was a diverse church. There were all sorts of people in church. And it's a challenge to us to be a diverse church, to look for having a church which is filled with all sorts of different people. The other important thing to notice is that Paul writes to uh, all these different types of people. Normally, when people would write household codes uh, in Paul's day, they would just write to the husbands, to the uh, parents, and to the masters and say, this is how you should rule these people who are under you. But what Paul does is he writes also to wives and children and slaves. And he's saying to them, this is how you work in your relationship to each other. And there's instructions to both saying that both people have value, both are equal and both have responsibilities to each other. So it's not that one person is better than another, but each of us have responsibilities. We each have to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So these are some things that we just need to keep in our heads as we read through this uh, household code. And the first one we're going to look at uh, tonight is the children and parents. So let's have a quick read of that again from verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I would love here to be able to stop and to tell you a story about my rebellious childhood. And so then I could say, I was a really bad person, then I met Jesus, and now I've learned to relate well to my parents. But I was not a rebellious kid. I was a really good kid. 
I was, I was probably one of the best kids that I knew. And so I can't tell you any of those stories. I can tell you probably one of the worst things that I did. And you're like, yes, juicy gossip. And this is really bad. When I was a young man, probably about five years old, which doesn't really make me a man at all, I was a child, a young child, about five, and my mother came home and she said, Tom, I've got a present for you. And she's like, look, I bought you at the shops, I bought you some stickers, and I bought your sister some stickers, and she showed me, and there was like some um, butterflies for my sister, and there was some old-fashioned motor cars for me, and they were a bit shiny and sparkly, and I saw them, and I was like, I don't want your present. And then my mom was like, okay, if you don't want the present, that's fine. And then she went away. And then I was like, oh, no, I do. I love stickers, especially shiny ones of cars. And then I was like, what am I going to do now? I said, no. And I was like, oh, I can go find them anyway. So I crept into my mom's room. And I stole the stickers. Yeah, I was bad. I was a hardcore rebel kid. I stole the stickers. Then I was like, yes, I got the stickers. And I'm like, what am I going to do with these stickers? I was like, I can't like, stick them out anywhere. These are, this is stolen merchandise. I was like, I know what I can do. I'll stick them under my parents' bed. And then I can go and look at them whenever I want. So I went under my parents' bed and I stuck them under there. I was like, oh, look at these beautiful stickers. And somehow I got caught. I don't know how, because I was a criminal mastermind at five, but I got caught. And then I got punished severely. I think my mum said, Tom, if you really wanted the stickers, you should just ask for them. That was my punishment. It was really tough. So really, that was like one of the worst things I can remember doing. So I was not a bad kid. Others of you would hear that and go, man, that, that guy is pansy. I did some terrible things. I set my cat on fire, and that was, that was just this morning. Uh, when we, some of us are going to find it difficult uh, to obey our parents. Some of us know that it's been hard obeying your parents, and some of you know what it's like. And what Paul tells us is that the job of those of us who love Jesus, who have parents, uh, if we are you know, under the authority of our parents, is to obey our parents. That's what it says to do, obey your parents. And we say, why should we obey our parents? Well, Paul tells us, he says, for this is right. That's it. It's right. It's the right thing to do. Why should you obey your parents? Because it's the right thing to do. Do the right thing. It's like putting rubbish in the bin. Do the right thing. Obey your parents. It's the right thing to do. And when we do it, we do it because we, we do it in the Lord. We are obedient to the Lord. We do the right thing in the Lord. We obey our parents. And to you guys, especially you guys who are still living at home with your parents, you are Obedient, needing to be obedient to your parents. Like, but sometimes my parents make stupid rules. I don't want to obey their stupid rules. Well, what Paul says to you is, obey your parents. You know, the reason why he says obey your parents is because he knows that sometimes you're going to think your parents make stupid rules. And that's the time when you need to obey your parents because if you liked every rule your parents made, you wouldn't have to be told to obey your parents. You'd be like, well, yes, parents, I will stay up till midnight and I will eat ice cream for breakfast and I will not go to school. I will drop out in year seven. That sounds like a great plan. You would do whatever the heck you wanted. And your parents would be like, yes, go and do that. But your parents want you to do things which you don't want to do. And as someone who is under the leadership of your parents, you obey them because that's the right thing to do. But some of you are like, hold on a tick. I, I, am, I am like 30, I'm living out of home, and uh, do I still need to obey my parents? And the answer to you is, well, probably not, you don't. Like, it's not like, you know, you need to ring up your parents now and say, hey, parents, is it okay if I stay out late? Can I have a friend over on a school night? You don't need to ask your parents these things. Uh, what, what was happening in these, in these times 
Uh, is there also an expectation, it seems to be what Paul was saying, is that as long as you're under the authority of your parents, you obeyed your parents. But at some point, you move out from the authority of your parents and you become your own person. And so you don't have to obey your parents in the same way as this passage says, but it doesn't let you off the hook. You can't just disobey your parents. As soon as you turn 18, you're like, oh, stuff you parents, I'm 18, I'm off. Because what it says here is, while there are children who need to obey their parents, all of us need to honour our father and our mother. And when we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus is someone who did this quite well. He is someone who obeyed his parents as he was growing up. And then as he was older, he didn't always obey his parents, particularly he didn't obey his mother, but he always honoured his mother. There's a story where uh, Jesus' mother and brothers thought that Jesus had gone a bit crazy and they came to find him and to, to, to get him and to t- talk some sense into him. And people were like, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. And then he, he didn't be like, oh, quick, I better go and do, it, do what they say. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? And he says, those who do the will of the Lord. And what he is saying there is he's saying, you know, I'm not just going to do what my mother says. You know, there's more important things to do, what God is telling me to do. So he didn't always obey his mum, but he always honoured his mother. When Jesus was on the cross dying for us, he still remembered his mother. And he said to John, he said to, to look after his mum. There's someone who honours his mum. When he's in the middle of the worst experience of his life, he still cares about his mother. He's honouring his parents there, and we think that probably Joseph wasn't around, which is why he was getting John to look after Mary, but he was honouring his parents. And so we need to remember that we continue to honour our mother and our father till, the, till, till we don't have them anymore. What does that look like for us? Well, I think it means that we continue to be in relationship with our parents, As best we can, we continue to honour them by hearing from them and ringing them and visiting them and spending time with them, having the best relationship we can with them. It will mean that we continue to look after them. At some point, your parents are going to get old. And just as they looked after you when you were young and vulnerable, you need to look after them when they are old and frail. And also, you know, we we need to continue to, to do the best that we can Uh, to treat our parents uh, the way that we would want to be treated when we're parents. And some of you are like, well, I I can do my best, but I don't have a good relationship with my parents. And that's true. And sometimes the reason why you don't have a good relationship with your parents is because you've been dumb. You've done dumb things and, and there's a good time for you to go and you to go to your parents and say, look, I'm sorry, I've, I, was, I was not very good at honouring you. Help me to do that now. But other times it's because your parents haven't treated you well. There are significant issues in your relationship there. There can be really unhealthy things that are going on. There can be abuse there. And how you work out how you have a relationship with your parents, uh, you need to figure that out with God. Because honouring your parents doesn't just mean you just turn up to their house and pretend like everything is fine if it's going to be really um, detrimental to you and to them. But somehow, even if you can't even have a relationship with them, somehow you've got to work out, how do I continue to honour my mother and my father? And I can't give you those answers. You're going to have to spend time working it out yourself, knowing your situation and praying and asking God for help, but always saying to, to God, saying, how can I honour my mother and my father now? Parents, though, they don't get off uh, without some instruction as well. Uh, Paul speaks here to fathers, uh, in which when we look at this, when it says fathers, it doesn't mean uh, not mothers. But in Paul's day, the fathers had 
pretty much complete authority over their kids. They could, you know, if they didn't like their kids when they were born, they could just get rid of them. They could sell them into slavery. Uh, they could use their kids as slaves. Fathers had complete authority. But now authority is shared between fathers and mothers, and so we can see this as an instruction to parents. And he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, most of you here, I think, are probably not parents. Some of you are parents. Uh, most of you here probably at least will become parents or you are parents at some point in your lives. And so it's worth paying attention to what this is saying to parents. And it says, do not exasperate your children. And I really like this because I feel like I see a lot of exasperated kids, like particularly when mum and dad say, we're going to go, and then they don't, and then kids get exasperated. Like, oh, oh, oh. Okay, sorry, that was my childhood. But, but exasperation means don't provoke your kids to anger. And there are a lot of things that parents can do to provoke their kids to anger. Don't make your kids angry. If, when you're a parent, don't do it. If you're a parent, don't do it. And there are the ways that you can do it, like, you know, when you make a rule, know why you make a rule and make it well. Like you've often heard kids say, why can't I do that? And the parents say, because I said so which sometimes is a, is a good reason. It's a good reason enough because the Bible says you should obey your parents and because it's right. But if you as a parent can't figure out why you made the rule that you made, if you can't justify it, if you're just saying it because you're too lazy to think of a reason or you're too, in a bad mood and you just want your kids to shut up, then you're just exasperating your kids. So don't make rules that you don't know the reason why you made them and you can't justify them. Don't exasperate your kids. Don't call them things that you wouldn't want anyone else to call them. Don't be rude to them. Don't put them down. Don't call them useless or dumb. Don't compare them unfavorably to their siblings. And if you compare them favorably to their siblings, then you're probably comparing them the other sibling unfavorably. So just say, you're all the best. I think, I don't know, I'm not a parent. But don't exasperate your kids. Love your kids. Instead, what, is, what Paul says is that instead of exasperating them, teach them, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Your job as a parent is to teach your kids about Jesus. You know, the best evangelist that a child ever has is their parents. And the worst evangelist that a child ever has is their parents. Now we know because we did a survey of this congregation that about 70% of you are Christians because you were brought up in the faith by your parents. And so you know how important it is, the faith of, your, of the parents. And so when you are a parent, you need to bring your kids up well in Jesus, to teach them about the gospel, to pray with them, to teach them the truth of the Bible, to allow them to explore faith, not to be like, believe this or you, or you will not get any food for a week, but help them to encourage them to know Jesus and make up their own mind and see the love of Jesus. But when you do that, if you are teaching them about Jesus, you need to show them the love of Jesus. Because if you are a hypocrite and you say one thing and you do something else, then kids will reject the gospel because the best example of the gospel they have is the one that is in their own home. And if the people that they are looking at do not live up to the love of Jesus, then they will reject it. I've done a lot of youth ministry in my life and I've seen so many families where the, the kids come along at, to church and the family comes along to church and everything looks great. But then they tell me about what happens at home and it's a completely different story. And many kids, they walk away from the faith because they don't see it matching up with what their parents are doing. 
Make sure that you love your kids. You're gracious with them. You're kind. You're generous. And when you stuff up, you seek forgiveness from your kids. Because as you do that, you will model to them the love that you have from your Father in heaven. So we honor and obey, and we love and we serve, and we do this out of reverence for Christ. The next uh, bit where we see and we learn about uh, submitting and leading uh, out of reverence of Christ is in the slaves and masters bit. So this is what it says. Have a look at verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, when people hear this bit of the Bible and other bits like it in the Bible, they say, "Uh uh-huh, the Bible is pro-slavery. This is why we cannot trust the Bible because the Bible is all about love slavery and so if this, you know, if this, this is the kind of thing that the Bible teaches, then we can't trust the Bible. Or other people look at this bit and say, look, the Bible is pro-slavery, but we've moved away from this stance on slavery and so it means that these other things that we don't like in the Bible, we can move away from them as well because you know, as we move past these outdated ideas, there are other outdated ideas in the Bible that we can move past. But I think when we say that the Bible is pro-slavery, I think we misunderstand what is going on in the passage. There's a few things we need to point out before we exactly look at what this means for us. One is that slavery in Bible times was different from how we understand it. Most of the slavery that we think about is stuff uh, from where people were kidnapped uh, in Africa and taken over to the US or to the UK and forced uh, to, to work. Um, and they, they, it was a racial slavery, and they were forced to do it for life. Uh, but the slavery in Paul's time was quite different. Not saying it was good, but it was, it was, it was a lot different and probably better than what we, we know in our heads. Slaves uh, in Paul's day were often... Uh, were able to be educated. They could hold lots of different uh, status in society. They weren't always the lowest class. In fact, they could be almost any class in society except for the very top ones. Slaves could be well-educated. They could be doctors. They could be teachers. They could be uh, the leaders of business. Uh, slaves uh, could, were usually not slaves for their whole life, but at some point they were released from slavery. People became slaves not because of their race, but because either they were captured as prisoners of war or they sold themselves into slavery. Um, there, are, there are a few different ways that you could become a slave. So slavery uh, was different from how we understand slavery. Not to say that it's good, but it was, it was, it was different. And the other thing is that there was a lot of slaves. Like the world pretty much ran on slavery. For Paul to, to write in the, in the Bible to be like, we need to abolish slavery. This is evil. This is the worst thing ever. Uh, because the world was running on slavery, it would be like us saying, we need to abolish electricity. We need to tear down the electricity poles. Um, which is not to say that morally electricity and slavery are the same thing, but just the way that society runs. It, it, it wouldn't work. And Paul and his group of Christians would be known as the people who were against slavery, uh, trying to destroy society, rather than the people who were all about the gospel. 
So if Paul just talked about slavery, then it would have destroyed the ability of them to share the love of Jesus around. The same way if we were all just anti-electricity, they wouldn't hear about Jesus. They'd just hear that we hate electricity. But what Paul does as he writes here is he sows the seeds of the end of slavery. The way that we see that he talks about things, it starts a chain of events that leads to the abolition of slavery, which happened, which was led by Christians um, a long time later, too long later, but it was led by Christians reading God's word and what Paul had written. There are things which he did, like uh, saying that we are all one in Christ Jesus, that our salvation is the same. In Christ, there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. He's saying that we are all equal under Christ, which is you know, something different from what they had heard in those days. Uh, what else Paul does is that he says that when you are a follower of Jesus, if the slave owner is a follower of Jesus and the slave is a follower of Jesus, then you are brothers or sisters. You are in the same family. At the very least, if one of you is not saved, then the, they are your neighbor. And so we have to treat people correctly. Uh, Paul, when he writes the book of Philemon, uh, writes to Philemon, who was a slave owner, about uh, Onesimus, who was a guy who escaped, ran away from his uh, master, and then Paul is sending him back, and he writes to Philemon and says, accept him back this time, but not as a slave, but as a brother. He's saying, you guys are equal now. And then in the passage that we look at here, we see that he's treat, he says to them, you have the same master. So the reason why you submit or serve each other is not because one is better than the other, but because you both serve and love Christ. You are brothers and sisters here. So you are equal. Paul is sowing the seeds of the end of slavery here, showing that actually there is a better way to do things. He couldn't overturn it from where he was, but he started off, he started the ball rolling. He is, he is he's getting things going. And we might say, okay, well, that's all very interesting, but it's not that relevant to us today because there aren't any slaves around, except that there are slaves today. It's estimated there are about 36 million slaves in the world today. Two million of them are children in sex slavery. And just as Christians have been at the forefront of ending slavery in the past, we need to continue to be at the forefront of abolishing slavery today, working against slavery. And, and there are many organizations that are working uh, for this end, and we can be supporting them. Organizations like International Justice Mission, who are a group of Christians uh, who work within the existing justice systems of nations to um, stop slavery and set slaves free and prosecute those who are keeping people in captivity. And if you want to find out more, you should definitely check them out. But still, here among us, you might be saying, but we are, I'm not a slave and I don't think there are any slaves here and as far as I know there aren't, so this is irrelevant. But it's not irrelevant because we still have masters. We still serve some people. We have bosses or supervisors or teachers. We have all sorts of people who are over us and we need to figure out, well, how do we relate to them? And this passage, it gives us some ideas. I was reading the parallel passage to this in Ephesians, uh, and I was reading this once when I was trying to work out what I was going to do about my job. I was working as a youth pastor, and uh, I, I was trying to figure out, am I going to leave the job, or am I going to stay? Am I going to leave? Am I going to stay? I was thinking about it for months and months and months. I couldn't work it out. And I was on, my on the bus on the way to meet my boss to tell him what I was going to do, and I read in Colossians, it said, slaves, obey your earthly master in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you, and to curry their favour, but since with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. 
And then it struck me just then that God was saying to me, Tom, you can choose whatever you want. Leave the job, don't leave the job, but whatever you do, serve as if working for the Lord. And so I decided to quit my job and to, do, to seek what it meant to serve, to work as if working for Jesus. And so I went out to, to get my non-ministry jobs for a while, which I think I've told you about, and I did unemployment for most of a year. I was like, well, how do you do unemployment as working for the Lord? And I was like, how do, how do I honour God in this? And then later on, I got some work uh, working as an usher uh, in a, a concert venue. I was like thinking to myself, how do I honour Jesus and work as if working for him here? And I got job painting houses and fences and stuff. And I was like, how do I work here as working for Jesus? And the question that I came up with was, well, when I, as I do these things, I think to myself, if Jesus is my boss, then is he going to be happy with the effort I'm putting in now? Is Jesus going to be happy with me doing my unemployment by sitting on the couch eating Thai food and watching DVDs? I know I'm happy with it, but is Jesus going to be happy with it? Is Jesus going to be happy with the way I'm treating the patrons and hurting the drunk people as I do my job in the concert venue? Is Jesus going to be happy with the effort that I'm putting in to, to paint this house? Is it worthy of my King Jesus? And as we serve our supervisors, our teachers, our employers, our bosses, whoever we have over us, as we serve them, we need to ask that question. Is Jesus going to be happy with my effort? Because Jesus is my ultimate boss. Could I present this work to Jesus and know that he would be okay with it? Because Jesus is your boss. So think about that. As you do your work, say, could I give this to Jesus? Is this assessment good enough for Jesus? Am I doing, do I do these jobs which I hate doing? Do I do it good enough for Jesus? Because he is your ultimate master. And still you might say, all right, I can, I can give that a shot. But what about my boss? What do they do? And some of us here will be bosses. Some of you here have people that you oversee. And what this says to you is that it says, have a look, it says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. So just as a slave is there to serve and out of reverence and fear for their master, you need to serve out of reverence and fear your, the people who are underneath you, the people who you are leading, because that is what it says. And you remember that your master your ultimate master is the same master they have, it's Jesus Christ, and so you'll be accountable to him how you treat the people who you are leading. So are you loving them? Are you caring for them? Are you telling them when they're doing a good job? Are you giving them the stuff they need or are you just you know, trying to make them work as hard as you can? Do you make sure that they get paid appropriately what they should be paid or are you just trying to get, you know, pay them the least amount of money so that you can have the, the best budget at the end? Are you being a good boss? Because your master is the same master that they have. You are serving the same master, so how will you serve him well? You know, all of this stuff we see that Paul says to us, we do it out of reverence for Christ. And when we do it out of reverence for Christ, we're doing it because it is a reflection of what Christ did for us. You know, Christ, he was someone who was the leader, the master, the owner of the universe, but he came to earth submitting himself to humanity. First, he came as a small baby and submitted himself to his parents, honoured his parents, obeyed his parents, and as he grew up, he took on a job a job like you and I have. And then he was obedient to his father when he went to the cross. And it says in the Bible, he became a slave. He died for us, 
became obedient to death on a cross. He knew what it meant to serve and to submit. He knew what it meant to obey. And then he went into heaven and he leads and rules and loves us from heaven graciously, kindly, generously, so that we can know what it means to lead well also. We submit and we lead out of reverence for Christ. So now we know if we're kids with our parents, we know that because we look at Jesus and we see actually, you know, I might not have the best relationship with my parents that I want to have, but I have proper love from my father so I can treat my parents well and honour and obey them where it's appropriate. As a parent, we go, well, look, I know that you know, my value is actually wrapped up in what Jesus has done for me, not in whether my kids succeed or fail. So what I can do is point them to Jesus and trust him with them. When we're a worker, we can say, look, my career my, is not my identity. My identity is in Jesus. So I am free now from overwork and I'm free from underwork because I have my ultimate boss is Jesus and so I serve him. And when we're, when we're a master, when we're a boss, when we're a supervisor, whoever we are, when we have people under us, we say, look, I have a master who loves me and shows me how to care, how, shows me how he cares for me and I can care for them in the same way. Jesus shows us and sets us free to be people who submit and lead out of reverence for him. If you're not a Christian, then what you need to know from this passage is that God wants the best for you. He wants you to have a, a job which works for you. He wants you to have relationships in your family which work for you. But the first thing he wants for you is to have a relationship with him, to become a child of him, to be someone who knows his love so that you can share that love with others. So before you go and make sure you sort everything else out, sort out your relationship with God first because out of that will flow your good relationships. And for those of us who are Christians, then what we need to see is that Christ has set us free from sin, from death, to live new lives now, loving and serving each other out of reverence for him. How about we stand while I pray for us? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are an example of submitting and leading. We pray that the way that we submit and lead will be modelled on you, be inspired and empowered by you. We're sorry for the ways that we have not done what you ask us to do. We pray now that you will set us free to see that we are forgiven and that we are able now in you to love those around us, to serve one another out of reverence for you. Amen. Thanks for listening. I hope you love Jesus just that little bit more. If you want to get your hands on the Ephesians devotions, then head to tomfrench.com.au forward slash Ephesians. There you can also find my other books, videos, and plenty of other stuff. So feel free to check it out and don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast so that other people might be able to discover it too. Till next time, have a good one.